If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, this chapter is, 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 I broke it in two parts because it is really in two parts. And I titled today's message, Ministering God's Way. Pastor's job is to exhort people, to tell people, as we looked at last week, what they are to do. And when we minister, we are to minister God's way. Not the way that Ron thinks, not the way that you think. You and I don't know what's best, but God knows. And, and that's the problem. Sometimes we try to do it on our own power. We try to do it on our own ways. Now it's here in, in chapter 5 and 6 even we're going to see that these two final chapters deal, deal with the true church or with the church and its ministry and how we are to minister. And there's at least seven different kinds of people that we are to minister to and how we are to minister to it. That's a very important. How God would have us minister. It's so encouraging to see when I see believers Loving God and then loving others. And, and that's encouraging. And it's ministering God's way where we come along. And sometimes it's just sitting there with a person, praying with a person, or sometimes just sitting with them and just talking with them about just life. Saying, I care. I love you. The greatest gift that you can give, really, is yourself to someone else. God has given you that greatest gift, life, but now, when you sit and you begin to impart your life with someone else and tell them what God has done in your life and encourage them and minister to them God's way, God's word, it impacts them. It changes them. We've said it before. You see somebody you haven't seen for a long time. How's it? How are you doing? And you keep on walking. Do you feel like they really care? But if a person stops, and they sit down with you, you feel like they really care. They're concerned. And see, this is a, a mark of a Christian love because love will cause you to stop and minister. Love will cause you to esteem others higher than yourself. When I begin to encourage someone in the Lord, and they begin to grow, and I, I, I give them the word. I'm hearing the word, and it's affecting me. It's washing me. It's cleansing me. It's changing me. This is ministry, God's way. But God's way, and another way is we're going to see in this text, is really honoring people, putting honor on them. Honor can be in many ways. It can be in a title. It can be in a position. But to me, honor is the greatest thing is just showing Respect. Respect for a place where a person's been. Respect for a, a, an older person, which is very important. When we act lovingly and we show this honor and respect, this is what the gospel is doing. It, it's, it's the gracious conduct of the gospel. We are to invest our lives in other lives, impact other lives. When we see others in sin, it's very important. How do we deal with them in sin? In chapter 5, verse 1, notice what it says. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. And to the younger men as brothers, and the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. It begins with, with this negative in that sense is do not sharply rebuke because what happens is when we get the word and sometimes we, we know the word, we're quick to get in someone's face. You shouldn't be doing that. Or you see an older person maybe sinning. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know how they got there and even sometimes it doesn't matter how they get there it's how we respond to people now not about a an older person but i'd like to share an illustration about chuck smith i thought it was one of those great ones 
Years ago, Pastor Chuck, who has gone to be with the Lord now, has had a woman come to him. He knew very well and knew the husband. And, and they came to Chuck and she says, my husband left me. He's moved in with another woman. Would you go talk to him? See, this woman deeply loved her husband no matter what he did. She loved him. She's brokenhearted. And that's what happens with divorce. It, it, it literally, like taking a piece of plywood and ripping it apart. So Chuck agreed to go, and he went over to where this man was, and he lived above a garage in somebody else's house with this woman. And, and he's thinking on the way over that this, why did he leave his wife? And he's got this precious family. And as he comes to this man and he sees the conditions he's living, he, he sees him in sin. His response was so cool. It's the way I want to respond, and I believe it's really the way that you want to respond. Because his response was simply this way. He couldn't say a thing. He saw this person who was in sin, and he was so brokenhearted, he couldn't say anything. Now, the man who had been in church for many years, the man who had heard the Word and knew the Word, was deeply also affected, and Pastor Chuck basically left, and he just, he was speechless. And I think that's the first thing that you and I need to be like when we see someone in sin speechless. Not judgmental. Not condemning. But brokenhearted. Prayerfully going to God. Not coming down upon someone. Not just being brokenhearted. It was a few days later this man had left this woman that, and he came to Pastor Chuck, talked with Chuck, talked with his wife, and they were reconciled without even a word. This is the most important thing if you ever catch it is it's not about what I say. It's about how I go to a person. Do I really love them? Do I really care for them? I will approach them with a broken heart, a broken and contrite heart of my own life. I've checked my own motives before I've gone to that person. And I go because of love, and love will break my heart. It will help me when I do speak, if I do speak, how I speak. Because I think this is one of the greatest sins of a Christian. Once you put your faith in Christ, you will sin. You can confess your sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I know that. But the moment we begin to judge and condemn somebody else or how we go to them, even if we say the right words, but our body language says something different. The text is very clear. It says, do not sharply rebuke an older man. We need to humbly come to him. If he's doing something and watching something, doing something, saying something, how we go to people is very important. This is what distinctly makes us different than in the world. Attitude, as we've been talking about, is the most important thing. What is the greatest attitude that we need? It's is a godly attitude, one of humbleness, one of humility. What are the qualifications, really, for godly leaders? Godly attitude. So here, uh, he knows the heart of man. It's cynical, for the most part. Condemning. Judgmental. The Christian is to have that right attitude. Pray. Pray they'll get saved. If they think they're a Christian, then pray that they would be saved if they're not saved. Now the context here is the younger man coming to an older man that we are to show respect. 
The church is losing that respect for older senior saints. Young people need old people and old people need young people. We older need to reach out to the younger. We need to pray. If we do not reach out, we do not live the godly lives and we do not reach out, the church is destined to die. I'm not talking about Calvary Chapel. I'm talking about the body of Christ. The true body of Christ that is in the Word and the Word is in them when Jesus Christ is in us. The world has to see something different. They need to see it first in us and they need to see it in our kids. See, the idea here is when a family church member needs to be corrected, there's to be no severity. Younger men are to to be as brothers and, and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. When you walk in this place, it's appointed time that we meet with God. You're walking on holy ground. What do you mean? Not that the building's holy. We're in the presence of God. And God knows what's going on in our hearts. And I think that sin, again, of not just harshness, is is misrepresentation of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a time that he's going to judge all the sins and he's going to judge those that are rebellious and those that are sinners. He's going to deal with that. That's his call. But when you think about the woman who was caught in the midst of adultery, he acknowledged her sin. He says, but go and sin no more. There's much to learn from that passage. Because when somebody would come to me, if they would come to me, and if I were in sin, and they come to me in love, how am I going to respond? I'm going to respond well to them if I love the Lord. The person that doesn't love the Lord probably won't respond in the right way, but you still have to commit it to God. I've seen people in sin, and and we've confronted them in a loving way, just again as Matthew 18 would say, and then we need to wait and let God do that work in their hearts. No Christian, no pastor is a policeman. But we're policing everything. We're to confront them in a loving, tender way, respectful way, with the Word of God and commit them to the Holy Spirit and pray. Pray that God would bring that change, and that's so important. Now, what we're seeing here is really how to deal with those within the family of God, not just the family at home, but but the, the body of Christ. Even if they don't agree with you in every little area, you're to love them. You're to love them in such a way that that the door is open that you could share with them as a brother, as a sister, as someone who is so close that cares about them. This is what he's dealing with, the, the attitude. And we'll continue this right through again, first Timothy. And then it's going to go back and it's going to talk about the end times in 2 Timothy. And we're going to see that this love is totally gone. Respect is totally gone in the very end times. Being a young man, Timothy, perhaps 35, we said a a young man ran from 12 to 40 years old. Timothy, we best can guess somewhere between 30 and 35, had to be very careful in his his relationship to the older believers in the church. And this is important at how we deal with people. Again, the word, again, when it begins talking in, in this text about these older ones, it's interesting because it's just talking about older, even when it talks about talking about the, those that are presbytery, those that are the elders. Everything is about respect, that we're not to, again, rebuke those that are older than us, but appeal and love. 
When you go with harshness and you go with judgmental, people put up a wall. They will not hear. They will not listen. So, in the manner that we speak is very important. Notice again, it says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. Someone older, someone who is supposed to be wiser, but someone you would go to your father with respect. Hopefully you won't yell. Carry on. Cuss. Abuse your father. In fact, if your father or mother wanted to fight with you, what should your response be? Not to fight. Not to be sucked in. Humble yourself. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. That's what's important. Again, this is rather appeal. Look up to them. Let them see that you really, truly care about them. And to the young men, as brothers, family. Every church, every pastor I've ever known has has seen this problem in the church where someone gets a little knowledge and, and, you know, they have this knowledge without this love. Knowledge without really wisdom. And they're abusive and they divide the church. And there's probably more people that claim to be Christians that don't go to church because they've been abused in a church setting. Because... We get a little of the word in us and we become arrogant and self-righteous. Now, it's true the church member needs to be corrected. And there's times that discipline needs to be instilled. But exhortation, encouragement should be done through appeal, through even pleading pleading someone to turn from their sin. Knowing the consequences. Knowing that they may not even be saved. If they continue in this, they never come back. Maybe they're apostate. Pleading with them to acknowledge Jesus Christ. What a difference in attitude. Attitude is is so important. It's something that we fail to understand. The pastor is is not to rebuke the older saints, but he's to exhort, he's to encourage them to look upon them just as they're his own parents. That's in in the role here of Timothy, how you're to deal with them, but it's the same for you in dealing with others. Maybe in a home study, a Bible study, someplace else you you know somebody. Maybe your own parents that, that aren't walking with the Lord the way they used to. Very common when when kids are young, they're kind of loose and wild and they want to experience this and that and then something happens. They get married and they have kids and they begin to change and they maybe become a little more conservative and then after times go by, the kids are gone and, and things that they would never approve when they were in that middle age, all of a sudden they begin to prove. And at some point, You may have that in your own life, your own relationships, those that are close to you, those that you know know the Lord. You need to appeal to them in opening the word. Let me read Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor instead too much wine, teaching what is good so they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands and to love the children. See, in the scriptures we go through, it tells older men and older women how to live, but they don't always live that way. Does anyone ever struggle sometimes living the way the Bible says? 
Yeah, it, there's a process of growing and maturing. In fact, we grow in this, we understand that, and then that helps us to make that next step and make that next step. If we have a problem, why do we want to be so harsh with someone else? Yet, this is why the Lord has to speak through Paul to Timothy because it's our nature. Well, I don't do that. You may not be tempted in that way, but someone else may be tempted in that way. And you have no idea what's going on here. Sometimes that's their way of not dealing with something that God wants them to deal. And the best thing is to plead with them in the Lord in a loving, tender way. So the Bible's clear how that older man, how that younger man or woman is to live and function. But the approach is important. The church needs to recognize for the, the older people There's needs, there's problems. Unless you're old, you don't understand. But we need to approach them in a loving way. Let me read from 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 7. Follow on the screen. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, partakers also of the glory that has been revealed Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sorbid gain and eagerness, nor yet as lording over those allotted to your charge. And then, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory and the younger men likewise be subject to your elders all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in that proper time casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you Christian is to go through this life humbly, dependent upon the Lord, following the the Lord in every way that he would have us go, trusting him and his word to guide us. Now, we we see in verses 3 through 16, we're going to be focusing upon a a widow, difficult passage for many. See, a widow is, is without any wealth or family, was alone. In a world, and, and, and in that case, in that context of 2,000 years ago, she, she, if she didn't have any family, she had no money, she had no place to turn. Utterly helpless, utterly dependent upon someone else providing for them. Can you imagine someone doing everything for you, providing every need? And if those needs weren't met, it was because... There wasn't the goodness, the love of people around you. It was hard. See, the Christian community knew of this, and they were expected to provide and care for. In a, in a community, let's say a large community, there might be 300 Christians in the whole community. There would be probably widows in there, maybe out of 315 of them. And maybe, we don't know for sure, maybe three to five of those were what is going to be a, a what's called a widow indeed. And I say that because that's what the text says. Because those widows that we're supposed to help are ones that are truly in need. And there are certain qualifications to point that God is really in work in their lives and has been working in their lives. Now, another thought I'd like to say while we're here is, we have never been appointed to a social gospel. Now, the social gospel today says that we're go out into those streets and we're to feed all the homeless and we're to, to feed all the people here, provide all their needs in the community. It's not talking about believers. But maybe perhaps someone, not necessarily them, will share that gospel. You know where the gospel starts first? Right here. This is what the Bible says. It starts with your own family. 
Maybe your family is not believers, but you have a responsibility. And that's why we come back and we bring it back here. And, and the idea is that this was actually carried through from Judaism. They would have a, an offering box that would be on the outside of the temple that, that for the poor, it was something they got to do and they felt good putting those coins in there. And you remember the widow with the might gave out of her deep need, not out of her exter better poverty to help someone else. We're to be moved by love. We're to esteem others higher than ourselves. We're to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him daily. Perhaps you remember again and Acts chapter 6, there was a division in the church between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. It was over the feeding, the feeding of the widows. Because again, they, they felt like the, the Hellenistic one, those who are Hellen speaking or Greek speaking, were being overlooked. A division, and it caused a lot of division within the body of Christ, and it still does today. Maybe not in that same way, but there's a division over who do you help and who do you not help, and the Bible's clear what you're supposed to. See, there's always this great emphasis upon widows in the Bible. It's not just evangelizing while we're supposed to go evangelize. Yes, the Bible says, but we need to take care of our own, and it starts in our own home, our own neighborhood. Perhaps you remember in Acts chapter 9, I believe it's verse 36, the woman Dorcas. It says, now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which was translated in the Greek to be called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, and charity referring to love, which she was continually did. Here's a woman who was a widow, continually giving her life away to minister to people. Peter would come, and we know the story. He would raise her up and, and give the widow back. And, and all the others were... were were weeping and crying and grieving over this woman. Here's a woman giving herself away. There's the motto. You know, if it starts right here in this congregation, within this group of people, it will overflow onto that community. But if it's not happening here, it will never happen in the right way out there. It starts right here. It starts right here. And it starts with you. We need to quit worrying about our consequences and we need to start giving ourselves away. And you know what? We find that God provides every single one of those needs. It's our selfishness that so often gets in the way of us doing what's right. Then in James, there is another passage in James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is to visit the orphans, widows in distress, and keep oneself unstained by the word. Now some churches have gone and, and, and made houses for widows someplace else and they neglect their own congregation. Well, we're taking care of the widows. But these widows here that have been serving the Lord sometimes can't go into there because they're full of the world that don't even know Jesus Christ. And they neglect their own family, Sadly. However we choose to help, it begins here with our own family. God puts great emphasis upon widows. And then the Old Testament, notice again in Exodus 20, verse 12. We see the heart of God. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, in the context, this is for Israel, but we also see the heart of God. God wants us to honor our fathers and honor our mothers. You know, that's not just me honoring my own mother, but that's honoring all the mothers here. Even when your mothers and fathers are wrong, will you honor them? My father, as he got older, he became more bitter and angry, and, and every time I go over, he'd want to fight with me. And for five years, I didn't even see my mom and dad. And finally, I went over to him one day, and I said, hey, look, you have a granddaughter and you have a grandson. 
this is not right. And we were reconciled. And at that point, whenever I went over it, he wanted to fight. I, I just, I stepped back. I wasn't going to be a part. I wouldn't let that divide. Maybe you have an angry father or an angry mother. You don't want to speak to You know, your part is still to honor them. They're still the grandfather and the grandmother of your kids. You have that responsibility. And that faith can melt the hearts of the others. Honor your father. Honor your mother, starting with us individual. Psalm 68.5 says this, the father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God puts great emphasis upon here. Widows are important. One translation listed over 500 times in its context somehow, widows are mentioned. Do you think that's important to God? It's very important to God. Verse 3 says in our passage, honor the widows who are widows indeed. What are widows indeed? Well, first of all, we have this primary concern to identify these women, set them apart. These that are widows indeed, there's two key factors in that. Those who have no family, no one to provide for them, no one to care for them. And second, verses 5, 9 through 15, those again who walk in godliness and live in godliness. So if they don't have a family and you see the fruit of the Spirit in their life, you need to be honoring them. Timothy, honor them. I want you to teach people to honor them. It goes a long ways ministering to people. Again, in verse 4, it says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return for their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Meaning, again, if, if they have family, the family has that responsibility to take care of. Now, it's talking about that immediately, physical family, not necessarily the body of Christ. They have that responsibility. The church is to, to take care of, again, those that have no other options. Now, the church is, remember, not this building. Years ago, a, a guy came home. He says, he come, uh, come to my home, and he says, you know, here's a, here's a lady. You need to go put her up in a, a motel. She has no place to go. Well, I don't have a problem helping those that are in need, and we will help those in need. Guess what? You are the church. If God brings someone into your life, you have that individual responsibility to start with you. And if you're unable to make that need, then you bring it to the rest of the congregation together. It's not to pawn it off, especially with this person. This person was, had lots of money. He was very able to. We each have the individual responsibility. If, if we can meet the needs of somebody, we should meet the needs if we can't, I want to hear. If there's someone that doesn't have enough food, we'll, we'll either have food in the kitchen or we'll find food for you. If someone needs a physical need of some kind, you let us know. It begins with you. But obviously, if you can't make it come to us, and together as a congregation, we minister together. The priority is, is very important. Biblical faith places a very high priority upon the, on the family. And yet sometimes the church doesn't place enough emphasis upon our individual personal families. And it should break our hearts. Now it's interesting how it refers here in, in the passage Again, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and make some return to the parents. It's almost like a, 
an obligation. You know, your parents have provided, they've taken care of, they've shown that love. And the only thing you and I really owe anyone else is love. Love doesn't measure money. Love just gives itself. Love provides it needs. You can't measure love. Love just gives. The love that I'm talking about is agape love. That's the love of Christ. He just kept giving and giving and giving. That's the obligation. Is to love. Love shows respect. Shows honor. If it sees a need, it makes a need. It's to meeting the physical needs of the family really is a part of biblical stewardship. Well, I, I put my tithe in the, in the box. In the Old Testament, they, they had tithes and offerings. If you're following that pattern, an offering was for someone in need. That's why they had the offering box for the widows, for the poor. And when you give, it's very important, that attitude, how you give. You ever hear, hear that expression, he tooted his horn or blew his own horn? You know where that comes from? Is the people coming and putting money in the... So everybody would see and put their money in the offering box. But you, you give it not to be seen. You give it out of a heart of love. Love doesn't call attention to itself. Love just gifts. Ephesians 5.10 says this, trying to learn what is pleasing the Lord. We want to know what's pleasing unto the Lord. If you love God, you want to know what honors God. And honoring God is honoring your family. Older men, older women. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice. Notice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Basically, everything you do, you do for the glory of God. Now, is that true that everything you do, are you doing for the glory of God? I don't want to ask you to hold your hands up because there's times in my own life that I don't think this is always honoring God because there's too much of my own flesh in there. Do you understand? You could be doing something good and, and you get in the way of what's supposed to be good. But little by little, he's changing us. He's transforming us. Look at verse 6. Now, she who is a widow indeed makes it very clear and who has been left alone and has fixed her hope upon God continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. So this woman that's a widow indeed is one who is really focused upon the Lord. Does she need to be in this place praying day and night? No, but the woman, there are examples in the Bible that the temple was open all the time, but it's a woman who is in continual prayer, lifting up the saints, lifting up the idea that Jesus would be glorified. It's important that it means that the extra time that she has. A choice of lifestyle means she chooses to serve God. There's some things you need to do. You need to prepare dinner. You need to prepare different. But she's giving her time over to God. She doesn't have a family to take care of, no children. So everything else in her time should be given to God. And that's what they saw in the Bible. Those were the ones that he's calling widows indeed. Because there are those that come in and they're just looking to manipulate. So you have to have discernment is what it's saying. This is what Paul's choice of lifestyle. When he set himself aside not to be married, he gave himself unto the Lord based upon his God-given gift. He gave himself over to what God has called him to do and he was just going to serve the Lord. Well, these women, again, were ones that were praying or ministering or like Dorcas, who was sewing that was her gift that was her ability not a spiritual gift but ability that she could provide for others and found great joy in doing those things a single person here is supposed to be one who can avoid and this is important to understand temptations of sexual immorality too it's going to make that distinction there needs to be a difference. In fact, let me read Mark 12, verse 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. Many rich people were 
putting large sums in. And the poor widow came, put two copper coins in, which amount to a cent, calling his disciples to him. He said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put more in the contribution to the treasury, for they all put out of their surplus, but she put out of her poverty. But in all that she owned, she gave everything she had to live on. There was a man that was a very, very wealthy man years ago. He owned the, the first large caterpillar company. He lived on 10% of his income. 90% of what he made, he gave to the Lord. Didn't start that way. He, he gave his amount of money to the Lord, and as he, he just kept giving. He just kept giving more and more and more, and God kept providing more and more and more and more. He just gave him, himself to the Lord. The 10% he lived on was more than a lot of people lived on. He had a, had a nice house and everything. It provided. But people condemned him because they didn't know, well, look at your nice house. Look at this. And yet that man gave 90% of what he had for the Lord's work. We're to be giving. I'm not asking for money. I'm not saying that. But we're to be giving our lives unto the Lord. If you're giving your lives to the Lord, you will give what is right. Now this woman was giving the woman is speaking about the context is one who is, again, who is continuous in entreaties or prayers, night and day. She was constantly interceding. I know some women like this. I know some men like this. We are to give ourselves. Jewish tradition valued the, the high, highly contribution that is a prayer offered by the widows. They, they saw the importance of it, how valuable this was. Luke 2.37 says this, and then a widow at the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day and fasting and prayers. Now is every woman called to that? No, not every woman is called to that. But if that woman has been growing in the Lord and being used by the Lord, she will grow closer and closer and closer and closer to the Lord. I'm 66. If I'm still here when I'm 76, the Lord hasn't come, I hope I'm that much closer to the Lord. How about you? Next year, do you want to be closer? And I, I believe that should be the goal of every person, that our walk would be more intimate. It would be sweeter, more loving, more kind when we come. Verse 6, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead while she's still alive. Now, what it's talking about is a, a younger woman who's still full of life, one who can still have children. Oh, she's committed herself maybe to the Lord, but yet, yet she still has these desires and eventually decides she's not going to be a widow. And Paul would go ahead and he would recommend younger women go and get married. God's put these desires in us, and, 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 and that's good within a godly marriage. And this is what he's saying is important. A widow who lives worldly, though, and immoral, ungodly life may be seen alive physically, but she's spiritually dead is what he's saying. So there are widows that you can help and widows that you cannot help. It doesn't mean that we're going to let a person starve. I'm not saying that. fact is, in Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. All of us were at this one point. Maybe that woman, that widow, has never even come to the Lord. Look with me in verse 7. It says, prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of the household, he has denied his faith and worse than an unbeliever. Charge these things as well. This is the responsibility. Timothy, teach these things. 
The widows are to be above reproach. As you grow, you are to grow in your holiness. I think of the story of Enoch, that he walked with the Lord. But as you continue to walk with the Lord, you will grow in the Lord. You will mature in the Lord, and your walk will be more intimate and more close. If your walk is not more intimate and closer to the Lord than it was five years ago, there's something wrong in your relationship with God. Because the more you know him, the more you want to know him, the closer you want to be. Paul negatively restated the positive principle. Failing to fulfill the family responsibility, this is seen as is sin and it's untrue commitment to Christ. If you don't take care of your family, the reality is you're being unfaithful to Christ. We have that responsibility. God's given us the mother that we have, the father we have, good or bad, however they are. They are our mother. They are our father. No matter what they've done, they always will be. And we need to honor and respect them. In fact, God can use you in their life if they've never received the Lord to receive the Lord. The ministry begins in our own families first is what he's saying. The family needs to be saved. That family then affects others in the culture at that time. Oftentimes they would have a series, almost like a communal situation where they would all eat together, cook together. There might be a hundred in this little area. Everything that was done together. So when a family got saved, it affected the next family, affected the next family. And that's what happens. That those that that the Lord gets a hold of their heart. First, it may start with a son or a daughter or a mom. And eventually, little by little, the whole family gets saved. It might be years before it happens. A friend of mine on Oahu, he prayed for a co-worker for seven years. And then he got saved. Then his wife got saved. His kids got saved. Had a really, really, really good job on Oahu, and he quit. He says, the rest of my family's on the mainland. I need to move to the mainland. He moved there for three years, and his family on the mainland got saved. And then he moved back to Hawaii, and the boss knew kind of what was happening and hired him back to his same position. It starts here. Our personal families, the family here. Praying for unsaved in our families is you have to get close enough to let somebody know you're praying for your father, for your mother, for your brother or sister. We need, it begins there. We, this is how we show honor. Verse 9 says a widow is to be put on a list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been a wife of one man. Now this becomes a, a, a thing that people argue about. We've talked about this again um, a wife of one man means that she has been faithful. It's pulling from, again, First Timothy chapter 3. There's people in this camp and people in this camp, meaning they could only be, she had to be married to this one person this whole time. But what if he died and then she was remarried? No. And man, she's faithful and true to her husband. But notice what else it says. The widow is to be put on a list only if she's, not less than 60 years old. That means a widow at 60 is, is a widow indeed. That means if you were 50 years old in the culture, ladies, 50 years old, that means you've got to go out and find yourself a husband. They, they saw themselves as still capable of having a children and a family and being there for someone during that period of time. And you'll find it throughout the Bible. So again, 12, some would say a youth was 12 to 50 with the women. 12 to 40 on the men. But this widow indeed was one who would meet these qualifications and she had to be over 60 because at that point she's unable to work. She doesn't have family to take care of her. Because a woman would have a child that would grow up and he would take care of That's how it's expected. And what we have done is given it to our government to take care of all the people. When we're angry at the government over, over taking away prayer and taking over this, we've asked the government years ago, take over, you provide for the widows, you provide for all these people. We don't have to do that. The church has quit doing the things they're called to do. It starts here. 
It starts with you and me. Opening the word and saying what God has. Verse 10 says, having a, a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children. You know, did she bring them up in the Lord is the idea here. Was she giving herself away? Now I know this is hard for women. Was she a Proverbs 31 woman? Not everyone fits the Proverbs 31 woman. But you know a woman of hospitality because hospitality depended upon a woman. The men were out working in the field all day, so she was the one that she would cook and she would prepare it. If there was someone in need, she would bring him to the table. She provided for it. That's what it's basically talking about in the culture. Responsibility fell upon her. It wasn't the husband said, oh, honey, I just decided to bring all the workers home. No, that wasn't the way it worked. She had to gather. She had to buy. She had to put these things together. And the idea is there was a list of widows, the widows who are truly indeed. We, we need to take care of them. What would happen if you've been working all your years and you have no retirement or maybe your retirement was lost and the, whoever handled the retirement lost all the money, but you've served in the Lord. You've been faithful to your husband. Where would that widow get her need? What would happen to my wife if I died? How would she be provided for? Or for your wife? It starts here, that we let love begin to manifest itself and we begin to minister to them. So this woman was a woman of hospitality. She gave out of the exter. She gave. Maybe, maybe you're a woman that gives to others and you go to the cupboard. You get extra food. You make sure people are, are, are covered. You don't call attention to yourself. And that's the kind of woman it's talking about here. The woman sometimes, if, if they were a very wealthy family, they would have someone that would wash the feet when they come in the door. But if this was a poor family, she might be the one that washed the feet of the guests that came into the house. She was the one that served. She was the one that modeled Christ in every way. That's the one that's a widow indeed. The view here is a, a godly widow of a, a, a Christian woman. Nourished and bringed up or brought her children up in the Lord. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old. He will not depart from it. If she's washed the feet of the saints, then the menial duty of the task is, it's literally metamorphic of the, of the widows to have a servant's humble heart. Look around when we have a potluck. Who are the ones that are serving? Not asking to be called attention to. They're, they're serving you behind the scenes. Sweeping, cleaning, loving. If they hear somebody's in need, they're the first ones to, to get there. As I mentioned earlier, Dorcas is one of those examples in Acts chapter 9. You can read it more in detail later. Now, here's the reasons for not supporting the younger widows. It's at verse 11. But refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. Now, Paul encouraged, again, the younger widows, get married. Don't put yourself in a place that you're going to compromise. You don't know whether tomorrow you'll get married or not get married. You know, women sometimes are better single after they're divorced or widowed than men. Men have to, they can't stand to be alone oftentimes. I think of the widows that have come through this church from time to time. They've been here and, and they're very content being single. Not dependent. They're not, you know, against it. They're not rushing. But the widow here is talking about it. You know, you don't know when you would run into somebody if, if you lost your husband or something. You still have a heart. It, it may take time to heal and then God will bring someone into your life. The perfect time. I've known so many that they say, you know, I really want to be married. And I say, well, God's preparing someone for you. How do you know that? 
Well, you don't have the gift of singleness. You won't be talking about that. You know, God's working. Just keep praying. Just keep becoming the man, the husband that God would have you be. Prepare yourself. I remember one particular one, Jamie, and you remember. We won't even talk about you, Jamie, but anyways, 35 years old, he, he just was never married. We just kept praying the same prayer. One day, Jamie and I ran in, hand, we're handing out a truck. Oh, I was looking for that church. It's interesting. She came to church, they went out with this guy, and before you know it, they were married, and they're still happily married today. God has a timing for everyone. If you're younger, you need to focus upon the Lord. God's giving you that time. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all. A marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators, adulterers, God will judge. A widow keeps herself pure for the Lord first, for that man. You don't know. You, you wait. You wait upon the Lord. You go about. Wait upon the Lord. It means to go about. You continue to, to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not looking. You're just waiting. You're serving the Lord. That's what he's talking about, these widows. And in that right time, God brings that person in your life because when you're ready, then he brings that person to life. Verse 13 says, at the same time, they are to learn to, they're also to learn to be idle as to go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies and talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married and bear children and keep the house and give enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to Satan. Now, here's the thing is when, when a young woman has a time, and this could be true of men too, I know a lot of some men that are really bad gossips. Anyone else know any men? Don't name them, but there's bad gossips as women. Let's get the facts straight. But when you have all this idle time, this young woman, all this energy, they're just moving. They like this, okay, I could go and do what I want when I want to do, and I'm not under anybody, and, and pretty soon they learn to gossip. Oh, how is so-and-so doing? Oh, what's so-and-so really doing? And gossip's bad. It's hurtful. It's wrong. It's a shame. At the same time, they also learn to be idle. They go around from house to house. Not merely idle, but also as gossips, busybodies. Talking about things not proper to men. Men, I've had to go in, not in the church here, in another place, I had to go in the bathrooms and clean them when nobody's there, and some of the things are written on the wall in women's wall, bathrooms, the place I was at, were worse than men's. The fact is, we all have that fallen nature before we come to Christ, and that Christ begins changing it. So the emphasis here is that, that young women, you need to wait. You need to keep yourself, you know, focused upon the Lord, on the things of the Lord you occupy in Him. You continue in your studies. You continue with other godly women and, and godly studies, but not being a gossip. It's so easy to become a gossip. Someone begins to gossip to you. How are you to respond? Oh, let's pray for them. You don't have to ask any more details. You know, pretty soon you do that, and somebody wants to tell you some juicy nugget or something, they quit saying anything. Don't let it land on your ears. When they used to hijack airplanes, when they quit land, letting it land at airports, they quit hijacking. Don't let them hijack your ears. Don't be a part. That's what he's saying in so many words. Verse 14, Therefore, I want the younger widows to get married, bear children, keep the house, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Some people condemn Paul because of this passage. It's interesting. Male chauvinist pig. Paul just wants what God wants. It was actually Paul, the teaching of the Lord through Paul that set women free. There's a great responsibility we talked about as being a mom, raising the kids in the Lord. 
You're there together as a team, as partners, and there's a responsibility. Now, some women today, they're fine in the workplace, and I know there's house husbands that do those things. That's okay. If that's the case. But here, there's a responsibility to the family, a godly family, a family with godly values, not taking advantage of time and and just being lazy because God despises a lazy person. Again, it's important to understand because if we don't do these things and we're idle in our time, we're opening up the door for Satan to get a foothold in our lives. Ladies, even men, you need to be in the Lord. You need to have godly relationships even if it means putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. You need to be occupying till he's there. You need to be praying. Praying for yourselves, for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your landlord, whatever it is. And it's in that as you just go about the things that you know you're supposed to do, God puts all the pieces together. Father, thank you for your word Thank you for the things that you show us are right and honoring to you. God, help us never to neglect those that you have brought into our lives that have great needs. Be so selfish we never make those needs. Forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen.